morning. Good morning. Everyone quieted down. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you, Bridget. Good morning. Welcome to Pediatric Grand Rounds, February, February 3rd, 2016. Apparently, we will soon, if not already, see sunset after 5 p.m. So, yes. Woohoo. People are celebrating, although there's no snow. Um, <clears throat> We're into February. Next week, we will have the next installment in the Chad Mini Fellowship, uh, Dermatology Mini Fellowship series with Dr. Mann on acne management, a little bit week earlier than usual. It's usually the third week of the month, but the vacation week's coming up. Uh, it's a bit of a change. And I call your attention as the, <clears throat> as the code for CME is scrolling by that at the end of the month or beginning of next month, we'll see our Colin Stewart visiting professor the first week, four weeks from now of March, followed by the 26th annual Dartmouth Pediatric uh, Conference, updates in contemporary office pediatrics at Mount Washington Resort, March 3 to 6. I'm sure there's, hi, Joan, I'm sure there's still availability, right? Maybe not so many rooms at the hotel. Or we, we're, we're perfect. Everyone should come. And doctors Palfrey, uh, Sean, and Judy will be our visiting speakers and our keynotes at Mount Washington. So, uh, as far as kudos and good news, we just got a report back from John Dick, who's the associate dean for clinical education at the Geisel School of Medicine, and it was an exciting email or a, uh, a really pleasant email to receive as he identified the Department of Pediatric Strengths <clears throat> for medical student education, including a significant involvement with year one and two on doctoring preceptors, a wide variety of inpatient and outpatient clerkship sites where students can rotate, <clears throat> the highest ranking, the highest ranking from students for overall clerkship experience for the past two years. Woohoo! yes. I thought, I, I thought Allison came through to... Allison's in the back, she's going to sneak out. So Allison and Adam, as our co-clerkship directors, deserve great credit for this. But part of that is because of the second highest ranking for quality of teaching by faculty preceptors last year. So thank you all um, for that. So students consistently scoring above the mean on national tests and a steady percentage of students choosing in careers in pediatrics and matching at excellent residency programs. So Allison and Adam deserve kudos. You all deserve kudos for the teaching excellence. A residence, I did not see the number I know, consistently scoring the highest as resident teachers as well. Were they number one, Allison, or number two? They were lumped in with the California residents on that one, so I'm okay. going to pull the numbers separately. In any event. Yeah, they're very high. So in any event, uh, walk around proudly. We're clearly the best in this domain, among others. So um, moving on to our, our Grand Round speaker for today and our uh, excellent talk, Cindy Pierce is, is, is a local friend. Cindy is uh, an, a graduate of Hanover High School. She is the author of Sexploitation, Helping Kids Develop Healthy Sexuality in a Porn-Driven World, which will be the subject of her talk. Fundamentally, an educator uh, with a master's in education from Antioch, New England, and a teacher training program. She's had a diverse set of experiences, both in teaching and not in teaching. Uh, I see a listing of a comic storyteller. And actually, your, your undergraduate degree at University of New Hampshire was in theater. So uh, I think we are expecting a thought-provoking, uh, as well as perhaps entertaining, uh, presentation from Cindy this morning. Thank you.
talking to my niece and nephew and their freshman Dartmouth College. They were both students there. And when they asked me to come do some of my comic storytelling, I rolled in there to tell a few stories. And what I found was that the alarming lack of knowledge about sex, but you know, having tons of sex, no knowledge about it. Clueless, desperate for information, needed an auntie-like figure to come in and straighten some things out. Like I remember the Dallas football team, these seniors, I went in, my nephew was on that team, but poor, my poor nephew having me as an auntie. But I rolled in there and I went for just to be there for an hour, three hours later, I am mapping things down, <laughs> them in, and I thought, maybe these army kids are just a little too smart and busy to know. Because the internet is clearly a now. Then I went to other colleges and I found this is pretty much a nationwide problem. Then I started talking to high school students and then now even into middle school. Everyone says, oh, but you're so outgoing and you're such an extrovert. It's so easy. No, 
Because when you're an introvert and a big mouth, like when you say like 10 things, you say too much, you get your introvert husband across the room going, <laughs> okay, the ethnic introverts are a great advantage because you are a chance. I envy the introverts because you say the one sentence that's like, boom, yes, that's all you Bling <laughs> to your introversion and don't use that to justify. That's why I say to parents, don't say, oh, I'm not really comfortable, or, you know, and all the parents say, but, you know, I don't want to shatter their innocence. You know, it's too early. They haven't asked questions. They do all this backpedal stuff. Uh-uh. No, no. And I know you are, you've got 20 minutes to tell these parents, like, come on, come on, jump in. But they, you know, I, I say to them, look, you have a choice, because Michael said it to me. You get in now, or Google takes over. So you have a choice. And the beauty of Google is they have lots of videos that can give them all sorts of, and then the parents are like, oh, okay. I mean, we really need to be aggressive about this, getting kids to, to get going, and getting parents to get going with their kids. Um, and, uh, you know, what I say, say to parents is, I know that because I started in first grade, and believe me, it did not go well. You think about the third kid, I got this down, and I'm immersed in this information. No, it did not go well at all each time. It was that each kid can smell where your limit is, and they ask the next question that drives you off the cliff. <laughs> each one of my kids was unbelievable. And you're just like, what? Did that just happen? I can't breathe. And every time it's that way. It, and we, it's easier with young kids before they have crushes, before they're into it. And you, you can make mistakes. They have short attention spans. <laughs> they're forgiving. Like, that's what I say. And no one wants to really think it. Everyone says, I want my kid to grow up and have an awesome, comfortable relationship with their body and their sexuality. Everybody wants that for their children. Yet they're not willing to invest in that. And you have to start investing, at, as you know, at three years old. And so that's why I say, I know it seems weird, but it's got to start now. And, and, and you've got to show that you, it's awkward. Yes, it's awkward. But we want to teach our kids, you've got to get an awkward suit, spin it around, go to the other side of awkward. And that takes practice for you. And if we want our children to have these comfortable, awkward, getting through awkward, we need to show them what it looks like. And I, I'm like, Hey, I say to my kids, like, oh, that didn't go well. You know, going to try that again. I'm, the, the beauty of not knowing. We live in a community, lots of brilliant people who think they don't need help with their sex life and don't need help with their parenting. And that's problematic because they can't admit what they don't know. It's awesome to be the youngest of seven children with plenty of people who are smarter, better, and everything. So I was pretty good at being like, need some help. You know? <laughs> I, I cannot tell you how the, how the comfort of not knowing and needing help is has, has benefited. And to, to talk to parents about that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, here's something that many parents have said. They're like, oh, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait. And then their fourth grader gets off the bus and says, hey, Dad, what's a blumpkin? What's a Cleveland? You know, these things are disgusting, foul things that are sophomoric humor created in movies. However, you've got a kid who asks you some gross thing that from some little feral movie. Like, I'm horrifying. I will not define them. He's going to Legal events that are not real. But here's the tragedy. These kinds of things that are thrown out there, some girls in their teens, are, they're put in a position to compete with porn. They may not even look at porn, but they get the message, here's what boys are masturbating, thinking about. So they start to say, oh, and this is the case with adult women, with college women. They're like, if I want to be relevant, if I want to be hot, I have to do these things. 
So abortion is this absurd thing that no one is doing, but I hear in this community that, that, it, that it has occurred. That some girl said, oh, I guess boys like that, I'll do that. And the thing is, so the kid gets off the bus and the parent's like, ah, this is so gross and scary. What am I going to do? And they said, but I haven't even done sex in yet. So then they're like, oh, the blocky back now. And either choose not to define the nasty thing, which means the kid's like, my mom's nervous about that, I'll be heading to Google on that one. <laughs> or you try to define it, and what wins? The healthy thing? So I say, you guys, preemptive strike. Get in there on the healthy stuff. So when the sketchy stuff comes up, you are you can like say, let's go back to here's what healthy sexual, you know, keep everybody's pulse down. And it just brings it down and up. Um, uh, the dad, yes, yes. So the not no, you pick it up. Yes, I'm on it. Okay. So this idea of um, staying relevant. This is this is a huge thing for kids. I mean, back in the day, some of you were in this moment. Many of us are old enough that like if your friend called you three times a week on the telephone that made seven pounds, <laughs> you were like, yes, I am living large. These days, these kids starting about eighth grade, they need to be relevant and feel interesting on multiple platforms hundreds of times a day. Like they need to be just in it, responding, engaged. And this is what, this is their invisible social life that none of us see. And there are different philosophies. Some parents think, you know, monitor, monitor, monitor. But is that helping kids self-regulate? We want to teach kids to self-regulate. And what keeps parents from wanting to do that is because they really worry how other people are going to judge them as a parent. In the same way, when we're in a store, I finally learned this, and I highly recommend, uh, a good friend of mine I didn't know before, someone connected me to her, but she's uh, the author of Duct Tape Parenting and the Straight Talk Comparison, Big and Hopeful. Sounds like hopeful because it's very hopeful and saved my life, but it's H-O-E-F-L-E. And Vicki Hopeful really talks about when we're in the store and our kid is rude or someone gives our kids something, we say, say thank you. <laughs> like showing up like, what a great parent am I, correcting my rude child. And she's like, what, what's the motive of that? And the motive is to show that I am really a, a, like an engaged parent and I really, you know, I'm taking care of business and I'm teaching my kids how to behave. But really, let your kid sink into that weirdness or not respond and wait. And even if it sometimes is painful, I mean, I mean, I had some uh, kids like, oh, says some different things to people and you're like, Good. but instead of <laughs> And you know, instead of correcting him or telling him to say thank you or telling him how to behave, I wait. I let it go, I take the judgment, don't worry about it. Get in the car, and the real training, like, you know what, when you're talking to grandma's friends, these people need you to have eye contact, they need you to shake their hand, a firm handshake, and look, you know, look in the eye and use a strong voice. Like, that's where you do the training. But the training out in public, calling them an idiot, yelling at them in public, telling people how you yell at your kid, that's not helping the kid learn to do it, <coughs> internalize, like, what's really going on. So. I think we, we, we need to, like with, with sex, when you know, when they're sending dick pics and they're going to make mistakes on social media, those mistakes are important. And instead of feeling like it's a reflection of your bad parenting, which I hear all the time, is that what have I done? I've given the talk. I've talked about it. I said I would take everything away. I dare do something. That does nothing. That just makes kids sneaky. 
is to have the conversation. And if you start when they're four, five, six, and you take it through, you keep the conversations going. And you know this, but I'm just keep reminding those parents that this is the only way, if they really are interested in that. And, and as parents, and this is also a big helpful thing, we don't really want to have conversations and be emotionally available to kids because it's kind of, uh, it's nerve-wracking because you don't know what's going to come up. So we stay busy by making their lunches, telling them what to do, nagging them, and it fills all sorts of space, and we're connecting. We're connecting. When I taught first grade, I remember parents would come in, this is our special time together, and this is why I want to bring my child in to the classroom. So they, they bring their kid into the classroom, and they take the bags of the kid. That bag's being taken off. <laughs> <laughs> parents like that, well, this is our bonding. Yeah, no bonding is occurring because that parent's chatting over the head like, do we have a stuff? Look at this bond. And, <laughs> and, that, and these kids are just like not connecting. We're afraid actually to connect. And parents more than ever are terrified because the, the world is doing, and it's all moving quickly. Here's what's interesting. I taught the first graders I originally taught are now 27 years old. They cannot believe. They just graduated from college a few years ago. They are stunned by what they're hearing what's going on in college, sexually, mm -hmm. electronically, how it's all going. They cannot believe it's changing so quickly. And you know, when I go to speak at schools, those are experts who are working with kids. But you can you it's impossible to keep up. That's why if you don't admit what you don't know, you're gonna be lost and left behind. So keeping the conversation going, asking kids questions, finding out what's you know what's going on as a parent is really, I think, really an important way to stay connected. And that means it's going to be uncomfortable. I don't make my kids lunches. I don't make their 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 um, breakfast. I sit, my husband has coffee, I sit and we, ch we chat about real things and the real things come up while they're hustling around. And boy, I got one who likes to go out, he'll have bare feet and crops on a February day, just peeling out to the bus at the last second. But that's okay. And my agenda, I like to do things ahead of time, but I don't project that on. But all of these things relate to giving our kids a chance to figure things out on their own, to let them fail. We all know, we keep hearing this, we need them to stumble, we need to, our parents are removing the speed bumps, and when they send a dick pic, they're in the school, well, this is why that happened, and this kid did that, and blame, and blame, and blame. We need to take ownership, but it's not about our parenting. No matter what we say, kids are going to engage in this right now. My, my kids ate great. It's, some of you are. You know, get some calls today. Or you know, <laughs> <laughs> some kids who are in deep, and the parents are going to be like, help me, the dick pic thing has started. And everyone's parents says, it's not my child, or this is my favorite. I know you think that every kid looks at porn, um, but I have a really close relationship. <laughs> <laughs> and I asked him straight up, like, do you look at porn? And he said no, and I believe because we're really close. I'm like, yeah, well, let me tell you about the 50 kids I have who tell me how they get around their mom and their dad and how they tell them all about well, how they get around it. And they laugh at how, you know, their parents. So we're thick in the digital age, and every kid is in it. And yes, you know, porn, Girls are looking at porn, but not in the numbers and not in the same way. I just want to make that clear. Some studies come out and say a third of girls look at porn and two-thirds of boys. I'm going to tell you significantly more than two-thirds like look at porn. And the girls, while they look, they don't have the evolutionary, you know, <coughs> the evolution is made so boys need to ejaculate regularly. And, you know, boys are like, Thank you, because I'm a little worried. I got college guys. What about free time? 
and his application. I'm like, can we just cut this down to two devices? <laughs> <laughs> and I do feel that that kid, I'm not going to even look at that application because I want him to filter himself out to be at the school where he needs to be. And I'm not going to jack him up and help him look better than he is so that he ends up in a school where he's anxious. Talk about stress, can't tell you how many Dartmouth kids and kids at colleges who pull me aside and say, I really don't know. <laughs>
my boobs are floating around. And it's really alarming. I mean, this is so prevalent, like the, the, the sending around of pictures. And they always say to the girls, this will just be between you and me. And the, the, the girls believe this. Or I say to them, if they really think, like, that would be so cool if I was, like, put in a file and shared, that would be some time to, you know, think about getting some counseling. And we'll talk about those issues around, like, what is it that you want your body to be, you know, use this currency. And this is what, this is what you're, the message you're giving is this is what you're valued for. And how about being valued for what your body can do and about your mind. And we keep saying those things. And they're always like, <laughs> and here's the thing is they're all about, like, I don't hear it. I don't hear it. This, my kid who does the most like this, she's retained the most. She has retained the most and has now gotten so desperate her friends are everything. She, I'm a social liability for my children, as you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like, no. But when they're in doctor, they say, do you think we could get through this play date without you saying you were a good job? No. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, likely, but not. I can't rule it out. <laughs> Something might come up and it might have to happen. And they're just like, this is who she is. You know, she's, you know, they're, they're used to it now. But the girl who's like, Mom, Mom, you're so good. Now listening. Can't believe it. She's bringing her friends to me and saying, she thinks a douche bag is a testicle sack. She thinks this, like, oh, it's so awesome. She's like, and she won't believe me, so I need you to, to talk. So she's bringing her friends over. She's like, I'm parents, and I give it a go. So even I tell parents, they will give you the full resistance. Um, one mother gave me a great idea. It was certainly the car, we all know. Get the car and they strapped, trapped stuff. <laughs> Dark even better. And you can just impart information. That's what I say to parents. Just go. And one mother has a deal with her son. She goes, we're going to have a five minute, I don't know what she calls him, but like a little jam session. We're going to get on the couch. We're going to face front. You have the timer. When the timer goes off, I'm done. We do not have to, I will not have to say, was that okay? Or no questions. We're just going to walk away. Sometimes they sit down. And she's just like, gives her dick big chop chop. Like, <laughs> he has no choice but to hear. What he does with that information, it doesn't matter. And he knows he doesn't have to engage, he doesn't have to look at her. Timer goes off, they go back to whatever they're doing, and he has information. So there is that way of making a deal. Like, I think that's a really, really effective way. So the dick pics, what I say to boys, they, oh, here's what's interesting. Developmentally, you know this. They send a dick pic or they send a, a text. It's like, will you suck my dick? Like the courage behind behind a phone, the courage that they have is nothing. I talk to kids about social courage. Look through your text. Would you say these things to people? If you, like some schools take kids and they find the nastiest text that was sent to them or that they sent themselves. They don't have to admit it. Put it on a piece of paper, put it in a bucket. Bring in like the head of the school and the dean and then every kid goes up, pulls them out, they have to walk up that that the head or issues, and they have to read it aloud. And that's a, an amazingly revealing. Kids are like, whoa, like, wow, what I will write here. Because you don't be like, Phew. you don't know how it landed, you don't know how the person felt, and it's so easy. But when a kid writes, will you suck my dick? And if a girl writes back, you fucking asshole, this is a common response. I think she's going to suck my dick. <laughs> 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 so the wisdom optimism of the teenage girl is a really optimistic response. So I say girls do not engage, do not respond. You know, we all say go tell an adult. They mostly won't, but I say grab, if you don't have the courage to tell an adult, you don't want to do that, grab a friend, a courageous friend, or and, and just go and ask that person straight up, just ask them some questions. What were you hoping for when we sent that? And, 
But usually, like, you think the guy behind that message is all swagger, and he's usually like the little goober. <laughs> Which brings me to the dickhead. Like, the guys who are feeling whole, confident, and on their game, they're not actually sending dickheads, actually. Like, that is, is something that, you know, that, that, that they do it as a dare. They do it for, they hope it converts. They do it to get some feedback, because there is this constant... I mean, I, to seniors in college, when I talk about penis size, this is one gift. In your 20 minutes, you can tell a guy, just so you know, penis is not going to be full-grown until you're a full-grown man. And the, the penises they're seeing in porn, like they are anaconda-sized penises. <laughs> Average penis in porn is 8 inches long. Average penis is about 5 and a half inches long, erect. For, I mean, that I've had guys in college stand up in the middle of their group like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing about porn. They get this constant reinforcement about how sex should look, what it should be like, and they say, we know this is just fantasy. Of course they do. The average age of boy looks at porn is 11. And so, and I, I would say 10 times this fall, I got a call that their nine-year-old, we found porn, you know, the kid been looking at porn on their family laptop. Um, at nine-year-olds. So this, this age is going to come down. And with that in mind, I mean, they let's say they have their first sexual experience with a partner at like 17. And let's say they live in, where we live, in the rural part, and they had dial up till like last year. <laughs> they may not see porn on their own free will until maybe like 13 or if they're if they're one of these northern New England people. And then let's say they have a partner. That's years of reinforcing an idea of how sex looks, how they respond, the penis size, skewed expectations about how bodies look and respond. So gen we're dealing with body image, now we're dealing with genital image issues. That kids are panicked. And it's not just size for boys. It's not just size. You know, and then this is the unfortunate. I, I played baseball, Steve Chapman was my coach when I was little. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of downtime baseball practice. And so while he was out coaching some people, my buddies would be behind her glove in the dugout chatting, passing information. So I've had this whole citizenship highly informed about boys' personal habits and masturbation habits. All my friends were men. I like, you know, too much. You think you grow out of that. I'm 50. I still have dual citizenship. Men are still coming to me like, I'm very nervous about this. Can you answer this question? So I'm like, I've got this like passing of information. So one thing I know is the boys back in our day, there were no dick things. It was the guy who jumped out of his truck and jerked off in front of him. Or the guy who said, you know, you know, made comments. And the guy who was around school, like, my dick is so big. And and I knew who was nervous about their penis, and it was like, oh dear, oh dear. But, and basically the guy who's doing that. And the guy who's sending dick pics should have a tattoo like, I'm pretty nervous about my penis. Like, that's <laughs> because that's for real. And I say to guys, think of the guys who are not sending dick pics. Like, are they comfortable? And not just comfortable size. Like, is it right? It's like bends to the left, it's hair on the shaft. You know, they're worried about all these very specific things. Like, circumcised, uncircumcised, built like a Pepsi can. Like, they are so <laughs> They are like, is it okay? And it's like, it's okay. Anywhere. I say kids, like, anywhere it's going. No matter who your partner is and what you're doing, it's, there's only not this much room where it's going. So you don't really need this, you know, managed penis you're talking about. Now, general image is also an issue for women and girls. A lot of young women say to me, my boyfriend said, all women should have their beauty care. Um, and the guy's 16, you're like, all women. <laughs> just review that, and then the girl's like, Oh, what am I thinking? Or they, they say, you don't look, like they get this feedback from their partners, you don't look right, they're too flatly. And these girls who are already worried about this, now they're like, what is wrong with me? And 
this is the thing, is the surgery, the surgeries that we do on, like, there's now 12 surgeries that people are having done on their vulvas and vaginas and clitoris and clitoral lip removal and the moving of the lips. So they can't put 12-year-olds in porn. You know, it's an ADM, I'm on this, like, candy, but I'm getting this information. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard some of this, but... You know, to, oh, I think in the early 90s, they, they made it clear that they couldn't put 12-year-olds in porn anymore. So they moved to making adult women look like they're 12. Still up top, you got the silicone sisters, but here they started to trim the labia. And we think, you know, and that, that is reinforced for, for the viewers. And they come back to their partner and it doesn't look like that. And in porn, they're ejaculating across the room. And they're like, well, why isn't this happening now? So when I first started this, there was violent porn. And there was porn that objectified women. And I'm talking about the heterosexual porn. Most lesbian porn that's the most viewed is made by men for men and viewed. So lesbian porn, there is healthy lesbian porn deep down in. There is some healthier porn. It's just not getting any interest. <coughs> That's the bottom line. There are feminists making porn, but it's not getting a lot of views. The most viewed stuff, it used to be those things were separate, violence and objectification. Now they've really merged very consciously by the porn industry. When you read these interviews with, with the producers of porn, what they say, a lot of choking, a lot of hitting. I think when I get a sophomore group of girls by themselves, I have a teacher in the room, bless you, the, I walk in the room and the first question is, so why do we have to have anal sex? Okay, sophomores in high school. And now I'm hearing ninth grade. I'm hearing, you know, and it, the kids in public school have it a little easier because there's no boarding. But still, these things are impacting us, but it's hard to track what's going on. But I can't tell you the pressure on girls. Like, this is the, an expectation because they see it so much. They see a lot of choking, hitting. Fifty Shades of Crap does not help anybody else. I'll tell you that much right now. Ninth grade boys say, so I read that. I think I learned a lot about sex. And I have young people saying, like, so why do women like to be raped? A genuine question, right? They tried to do a study of boys, men in college who don't look at porn. They couldn't find a study group. And he's like, are you trying to stop the porn industry? No, I want educated viewers. 30% of what crosses the internet globally is porn in one month. That's more than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter all put together. This industry is booming. And what's happening, there's a film out right now called Hot Girls Wanted. Rashida Jones is the producer. Worth watching that because all, and I call our town, I grew up here, I was a teacher in this community, and I'm raising my kids, and I call Hanover and Norwich, our little precious town of the USA, where everything is so perfect. Nothing ever goes on here, and, and if it is, you better cover it up. And in my family, we had enough red flags going that we couldn't cover it up. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm only trained, so it's awesome because then it cleared a nice highway and everything would be out there. But I watch a lot of people work so hard to cover things up and say, this is. I can't believe this is happening. Where and, and we do parents do have catastrophic thoughts. Like he said that they think we're done for. You're only done for if you don't have a conversation. You will be done for. You know, these microaggressions, this kind of harassment, when they are addressed, when kids are in eighth and ninth and tenth grade, when they are happening and addressed, the chances of that kid going on to sexually assault someone or mistreat people goes down significantly. But it's about conversations. I want the viewers of porn to know what they're looking at. They did a study of guys who stopped looking at porn. Amazing. Depression lifted. Um, more productive, more focused, less stress. It's stressful. It's a, you know, if a kid is a gamer and watching porn and doing homework and texting on their phone, it's just screen time. 
Their life is consumed. And gaming, that's part of culture, that, that great culture is fueled in these games. And the gaming industry understands they're going to get little kids on the little butterfly and fishy games, and the parents love it because they can check their email and take a shower while the kids shut their mouth. And they're like, this is awesome. The kid is not moving. That game rocks. And the, the uh, gaming industry is like, yes, we'll have you on that in like about three years. We'll have you on. Grand Theft Auto, and you know, and Grand Theft Auto, you rape a prostitute, you know, shoot her in the back, kill a dog. Eight-year-olds get to the level where we, we have this going on. So gaming, we're not going to stop the gaming industry, but we need to know what, what's what, what's going on with it. Um, uh, um, a few more minutes, and I'll take some questions. Um, but back to the the texting. So the texting, one thing that when we're constantly here, and this goes for us as well. We're not getting a lot of a, a lot of chances to look at people eye to eye, see their vocal tone, you know, hear their vocal tone, see their facial expressions, their body language. These reading of social cues are really important. And <coughs> you need to know about consent, and you need to read those cues. If you can't read them at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday, how are you possibly going to read them when you are in the dark, under the influence of alcohol and optimistic arousal? deadly combination where you can't read those cues and it's now authority's consent. Kids are actually quite receptive to that definition which is very basic. Affirmative conscious voluntary agreement to engage in sexual sexual activity all along the way. Just, some people will be like, do you want me to have a checklist? No. Very basic. You know, is this okay? Does that feel alright? Is Are you comfortable with this? These are just basic questions. Checking in. They're going to be ahead of us as far as getting it. So, um, if you're if a great person, Lacey Green, she's kind of annoying in some ways, but she's so great. Like, I think she's very, she speaks to her gender, she's like, hi, this is Lacey Green, and it's really like a little bit like me, plus. Sorry. <laughs> but she has a great video called Consent 101, where she shows you what getting consent looks like, what nonverbal no looks like, and she takes you through it. And I think kids, if they can see those videos, it's helpful. It's helpful. Um, and social media, as great as it is for kids in many ways, that it connects them, and, but it's thinking them 30 miles wide, one inch deep, and it's that relevant, staying relevant, and it breeds in so many kids. They sit in their room, you know, you could, they know people are spending hours cultivating their profile, cultivating their image and their pictures and photoshopping and putting their best face forward. And grown-ups are doing it too. Believe me, I call Facebook to Facebook for my generation. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how it was put out. And then what you hear, complaining in the grocery store about their spouse, and they just put up like, my spouse is so amazing. And, you know, don't bother. Don't bother. And the thing is, you can be amazing and also be a jerk. That is part of being a human being. Social media does not do a great job of representing that complicated nature of being a human being. And that's why we're multidimensional and social media is limited. And kids, it breeds envy for kids. They're in their sweats, New Hampshire, <coughs> in front of their like, phone or their computer, and they see, like, my friends in Mexico. Everything looks amazing. And they're like, my life is so boring. And that just, every kid in the United States whether they're in LA or New York, believe me, I'm across this country talking to kids and like, you know, like, my life is so boring. Every kid feels it, doesn't matter. So th that's what social media, reminding them of how, how that is. Um, and getting them to look at, you know, to ask the questions. What are some, ask who, who is 
posting things? What does it look like? And look, what are the messages from the culture? Let's look at some magazines. Let's look, what are you seeing in magazines? And the thing is, advertisements these days, when you see them separately, as you look through a magazine, it's not as overwhelming. The porn culture is fueled by those, those, those kinds of messages. When you put them all together, it's alarming. And killing a stocky, Jill uh, Kilborn, I can't remember her technique, but she does something called killing us off and putting all the ads together. And some, she's done about six of these. And it's really interesting to just look at it all together, how, how it's getting to our kids and reaching them. Um, so I talk to kids about practicing social courage. And that means, like we say to kids, we want you to be able to assert yourself and say, um, you know, say no or say yes clearly. But if they don't have practice, you know, calling someone out for being mean, Calling someone out for littering, calling someone out for using the words fag, gay, pussy, bitch, like all those words. If you can't call someone out in that, how are you going to stop a sexual assault? How are you going to assert yourself or speak up and speak up to a partner? They need practice in awkward, and that means getting the phones down. Kids need to be in awkward a lot, and we need to show them that we can get in awkward. I do it on a daily basis. We'll give to my kids. We'll public service. <laughs> you know, people, so many parents will remind parents that being cool, that goal of being like a parent, no, you want to be a social liability. You want to be that nightmare parent because it frees you up to, to, to like call them out on things and bring things up. And you know, they'll try to shame you. My kids will be like, Mom, that, how did I, like yourself? I'm like, yes, I'm old. I am out of it. And you embrace that, it frees you up. Like my friend um, taught me this one, his mom, when they were little, and now I do it. When you're at the grocery store and they're being a pain, they're putting stuff they shouldn't be, they're bickering, I, I stop right in the middle of the call, I'm like, what they say? Because I'll say, I'm going to say, I have a terrible voice. No, no, no. We're good, we're good. But just be the supervisor. Embrace it, and you have freedom to address all these issues. And I think it shows them, you know, I, my mom was a little aggressive on the social courage, and I was so embarrassed by her. I thought, God, I can't believe it. By the time I'm 21, I'm like, ah. So I just want to say about Yik Yak, these, uh, one more thing about, so things like Yik Yak you may have heard, these are the, uh, and there's things where Yik Yak's going to go out, and there was after school, and they went out, and the other one's coming, these are the, um, you do, you're going <coughs> post on these things anonymously, and schools will make a geo-pencil, you can't use Yik Yak, so you can write anything you want, and you wouldn't believe the racism, the misogyny, the homophobia, transphobia, this is where people vent where they really they do a lot here with a text. What they do on these these, these other platforms is really get the word out because their name is not attached. And school will put a geo <coughs> you can't use JCAC on their campus, but kids will go off campus and be outside of that and still using it. Every kid's like, you guys are so uptight. Like you guys know we deal for the time. And they're like, and then that same kid Someone says something very personal about their bodies. Teachers have been accused of sexual assault, or being free teachers can change a life from an anonymous place. And uh, you can't will in a pinch go and they can find who the source is if something, if there's a threat, a bomb threat, or that kind of thing. But generally speaking, a lot is put out there. And once it's put out there, it has power all its own, right? And so the kid who gets talked about, that same kid who was telling you how, like, you're too worked up, they will be in the 
the principal's office like shut the internet down, collect all phones, this game is over. But someone mm -hmm. says something about their nipples or their penis, like it's amazing how it switches. But everyone, they really want that right and that freedom. And I did want to say like that point. One thing you will hear from girls is like, I can do what I want with my body. I can hook up all I want. I can send a new picture. I can do porn because that's empowering. I'm a feminist and I own my body. And then if you question it and say you should respect yourself more, they're like, are you slut-shaming me? you slut-shaming me? That's the card. And no doubt, there's a lot of victim blame. There's a lot of slut-shaming. But we have to still have this conversation. Are you using your body as currency? What is your intention of where you want people's attention to be? Um, these conversations and the hookup thing is amazing how this false sense of empowerment. It turns out that while in a hookup scene, very few girls are having orgasms. Almost all boys are. Correctile dysfunction is an issue for young men at this time. Like it's starting to be an issue. But the emotional fulfillment of hooking up because we're so busy, there's this reverse dating of, you know, you hook up once, one person's interested. One. When you're both looking up, making yourself physically vulnerable. If you hook up twice, two people are interested. If you hook up a third time, then maybe it's a thing. And hooking up can be anything from snuggling and kissing, this is intentionally vague, to anal sex, swinging from a trapeze with a double-ended dildo, doing all sorts of things. And vague is very conveniently vague. So if one audience says, did you hook up? Oh, we just hooked up. Same act. And then to another group of friends, we totally hooked up. Could be kissing, could be this, anything in between. So it's been conveniently vague for people so they don't get judgment. And we do judge, but the emotional fulfillment, our assumption is boys don't care, and we hear this all the time. It turns out they have to slide around and say they don't care, but the interviews with boys say they are equally unfulfilled emotionally as girls are. And that we have to keep that in mind and remind girls. And, and, and Donna Freitas, I'm not even sure how to pronounce she wrote a book called The End of Sex. It sounds so hopeless, but it's about the hookup culture. What I have been finding in my interviews with boys all along, no one would believe me. And then she wrote that book, and I'm like, now we've got some like, data on this, like this is for real. So I've been in the trenches, getting the anecdotal stories, and then immersed in the research, which now I just don't. I cannot unknow this information, and I would like to. It's really troubling, and it's unsettling. But my feeling is this: we can't keep up. We stay informed. Keep getting informed. Talk to talk to kids about detoxing, taking a break from their phones, asking the, the husband. I heard about your tablet of what kids will fill out the questions, and they're very honest. Get some questions in there about dick pics, and I know you have a lot of questions, but I think this is these are important things. So. Um, Yes, I've said it all. I'd love to take some questions. <laughs> okay. So Jim Sargent is not here, and Jim Jim took on the tobacco industry because he does want to shut it down. Is anyone trying to take on the point of the street? Yes, shut it down? they are, and not successfully. I mean, there's huge efforts out there. I, I just think it's so impossible to shut this down. They're bigger than the NFL people. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean they're not bigger than big tobacco. They're not bigger than big tobacco. True, true. But I think it's about education, and I think by going in and talking, I'm talking to boys about these things. They are instantly. They are like. That is true. I'm hearing about boys who have like data plan, not to stop masturbating, because I'm like, yes, masturbation, healthy, normal, keep it going. 
Use the spank bank. Come on now, fellas. Now, they like they have this highlight reel. If you take three weeks off, they were willing to do that, and that changes what's in their head. But boys are receptive. I hear these groups, they're like, I couldn't get an erection. I couldn't get off anymore. A 16-year-old kid? Are you kidding me? And he said, I stopped looking for them. And I went to school, 20 boys made a plan. Like, we have a club, we don't look at porn. Boom, we're so psyched, it's changed our lives. That's what I think you've got to sneak in and, and go from the inside, through, through the viewers. Yes. Um, so that's the thing. It's really easy to say you should never, ever smoke. But sex is normal and healthy, and they're getting interested in a healthy, normal time. And it's hard for me to find this balance with my daughter of um, all men are horrible, stay away from them, they'll rape you. To men are wonderful, this is a normal experience, and she's going off to college, and she very specifically said she's not looking at Dartmouth because it's too rapey. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I don't know how to. Right. How, how do you find that nice Here's balance? This is normal, but. So, six in college, 6% of guys are responsible for 90% of the sexual assaults. Those 6%, I call it the asshole club, and they are, and they are given tickets, like I call them asshole tickets, and they can use them anywhere they want, and people put up with it from the time they are young. No, they don't see themselves as rapists. They have coerced, they use alcohol, and they use physical force. This is something I do not. I'm hearing a lot of personal stories that now, very nice guy, hooking up, door closes, physical force. Thank you, porn. Thank you, no one talking to him about these things. So physical force, coercion, and alcohol are the way these 6% are getting away with it. They're repeat offenders, and over and over. Look at Dave's sex work. He's done a lot of research. He's retired now. to keep being dragged out of retirement. That poor man's going to go to the grave talking about these things because he's got so much. Um, but I think such a small number are responsible. The other 10% of sexual assaults are the hookups gone wrong, the miscommunication, um, miseducation. How do we... So I think... It's a relief to hear that most guys are not sexually assaulting women. And 68% are, are unreported. That's also men who are sexually assaulted. Who are, you know, so many are un, you know, unreported. But this is the case at every school. I think Dartmouth is under scrutiny, and any small thing that will happen will be blown, blown up. There, I think we have other many factors here. If you're at a school where no one in town will let you, you can't drink out in the town, Till 11 o'clock, it's all over, and you're not of age. We have, we're in a small, boring town. We have police with not much to do. We have, you can't have a party in the neighborhood. So the, we've given the, the fraternities own the party system, right? And so all those factors, their terms are short. You know, I think that's why they, that, that adds to Dartmouth's issues. There's so many issues that add to the party culture. Um, I think they're doing a lot of great things there to make a change. But I think talking to saying, Saying to girls, most guys are not sexually assaulted, but I think this idea that they're, my husband still says men are pigs, and it's like, the thing is, a great guy, under the influence of alcohol and the optimistic arousal, will not be able to help himself. And yes, girls, we cannot blame victims. Girls should be able to wear what they want, they should be able to drink what they want. But do you think I'm going to say to my girl, wear what you want and get out there, because every, I don't trust the way those boys were raised, okay, that's how I look at it. So I just would assume, and some girls go to a party dressed a certain way, hoping to attract two specific men. And any guy who gives me sexual attention, they're like, would you objectify me? So there's this mixed thing. Like, and they're like, I only want attention from those guys. And if they don't get attention from that guy, these women often, like their friends, this is what I hear from women, it's really hard to see your friend get desperate and they didn't get the attention, so then they get drunker and drunker and then the bar comes down and they end up hooking up with someone else. 
So it's responsibility of both of these kids to learn about affirmative consent. I do hear from guys, they say, we are asking for consent. And women don't, but we do. And they sometimes are terrified. They're like, I don't want to have sex. I'm going to be accused of rape. It's a scary time to be a mother of a, a parent of a daughter or a son because you are in a, in, we're in a shift now. Affirmative consent, that law or policy cannot dictate what happens in a bedroom. But it is bringing awareness. It is now, from two years ago till today, huge change on college campuses. Intervening is acceptable. People will walk right up, random, not someone in charge of the party. This doesn't look healthy, you two are too drunk. I'm, I'm separating you. You take your friend home, you guys take your friend home. Get them apart. This is becoming more acceptable. So we're in a really sharp shift, which is great, like sharp changes are happening. Um, but it's still a reality that you know, I think I'm not going to send my kid without seeing the film um, The Hunting Ground. You see all the criticism of people saying this isn't true. As a woman, we can all come up with 20 friends who have had one of those experiences. So it's, I think it's worth having boys and girls see that. They won't pay for college until they see it. And, <laughs> and Missoula, like John Packauer's book, got into those files. Very interesting book. I actually spoke at Missoula when before all that really cooked up. Um, but I think it's... Um, I think it's tricky, but I think keep talking about it and, and educate them. Yes. I wanted to um, sort of shift the conversation okay. a little bit because you brought up um, several times this sort of question um, to, you know, do you want your body to be seen as a commodity, et cetera. Um, I have um, several patients who live in poverty, um, and that is actually what they want um, right. and is actually a very well thought out life plan. Yeah. Um, and I have no idea how to handle that. Okay. So the, this is the kind of, I talk, talked to someone who was work, a counselor, who had a group of girls, and the girls straight up said, oh, we look at porn all the time because we come up with sex dares. So we look at porn, see what, and they make these unbelievable, um, you know, all Asian women uh, are, are uh, will do anything. All African-American women love sex. And this is what I've learned from porn, and this is we're daring each other. That is a whole different level. This kind of mentality. Um, so those questions, I don't think are worth, worth asking. But I think having just, um, I mean, still make, still ask the questions. But I think every time you meet with these kids, um, just ask them what's that like. So what is your hope? How do you hope that converts? What is okay? So let's say that happens. That's what you're hoping for. And what do you think the outcome of that will be? And what do you think the long-term goal, goal? And just flatline it with the questions and keep asking so that they they will not change. Here's the sad thing about women. I hate to say this, girls and women. You talk to them. I feel like they come back to me eight or nine years later and say, they come to my talk four times. I love your talk. I love your message. It's so empowering. And they're still hooking up. They're still sending the tidbits. They're still doing it. When they're 25, they come to me and say, I get it. I get it. I was not empowered. I get it. So I think you just have to, I, it's so daunting. Just keep saying the things. They hear it. They hear it. You're another voice in their head. Over time, someone else may say, it's hard to send them out in the world with that attitude. But if they keep hearing it. I would also read some of Gail Dine's work. Um, she wrote a book called... Uh, I like cookies, few head injuries, and all the ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Porn. Hmm. 
Okay. <laughs> so, you're not, so you're not trying to sell, so you're, you suggested at the beginning that your book has a lot of these references. Right? Yes. So, so the book is sexploitation, and, yes, and it's going to have is, a lot of these references. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, but you're in a, that's a difficult situation. I think she needs to go to the next one. Portland. Boom. There you go. <laughs> okay. On that note, All right. you're out of time. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.